0: This week on Writers Inc.
1: You know it's interesting because when we were all little, if we were lucky, someone would put us on their laps and say, "Once upon a time," and tell us a story, or even read us a story. And I think that that emotional connection with being told the story, having the story unfold as you're listening, and and you let the your imagination. Um, show you the story is something that we're all comfortable with and we love being in that place of you know tell me a story and then and that's what this book provides that's what audiobooks provide so there's a there's sort of a a palpable sense of that isn't there that you're that you're being wrapped in a story.
0: J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and Indie Powerhouse's Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the bestseller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, schools in session. This
2: is writers in JD. We get a facelift.
3: <laughs> facelift. Oh, <laughs> I'm like I'm staring at the two of you on our, our Zoom call here, trying to figure <laughs> out what the what the hell you're I'm talking about. Talking about the Alson Change record.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah,
3: so we've we've got a, a weird one this week, right? We've got a, a panel presentation or a panel on, on interview, um, and, and you're not doing it. So we got we got yeah. that other guy. We got the B team in there, I guess. is
0: Yeah, yeah. You're giving me a lot of credit calling me the B team. (laughs) (laughs) Z team, baby exactly oh i was i was talking about our, our brand new
2: website that's what website i thought too got. i was like what
0: are you oh. talking about all right
3: yeah I, I haven't had coffee in a couple hours so yeah <laughs> forgive me um, yeah for those of you that that still go on the internet um, and look at websites we we've, we've got a brand new one um, it, it's actually pretty cool we we kind of tweaked it we haven't really changed it since the you know the podcast started and we are what like 150 200 600 episodes in i'm not even sure where we are anymore 7 800 something yeah, like that yeah some, something crazy um, but we figured it was time to tweak it so we we uh, made some changes to. It made it a little easier to to find episodes, find people. Um, There's a form right at the top. So if you have a a particular author that you want to hear from or somebody you'd like to ask a question of, um, just fill out that form. um, And we're going to use those questions in in upcoming interviews. Um, So there it is. Go visit the website.
0: Angelfire.com slash OH. We should, we
2: should give a shout out to Todd over at uh, Word and Pixel. Uh, he's, he's the one that handled that for us. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out his work. It's at wordandpixel.com. That's A-N-D, wordandpixel.com. Yeah, and you know
3: honestly, like that's a pretty thankless job, you know, because he's got people like us on one side of a phone call saying, "Well, we need a new website. We don't really like the old one. We can't really tell you what we don't like about it. Um, we're not really sure what we need in the new one or how it should look." But um, go ahead and do something. Get back to us, and and somehow he pulled a, a website together. Like, <laughs> but you know, it's sort of like telling a cover designer what you want to see on your, your book cover. I'm, I'm terrible at that too.
0: Even after my joke, you guys still didn't say the pot the website writersincpodcast dot Oh, you're oh. still here. I didn't realize you were still on. <laughs> I'm apparently running the show now. So, <laughs> I thought you were setting up your next panel
2: conversation.
0: No, no. I'm over here trying to get my voice back after what I did before the podcast started. But we won't get into that. We're trying to get, get sponsorship. Doing my think, death metal screams. I think you should <laughs> do
3: it again. I think you should do it for the audience.
0: <laughs> they can't see that I'm drinking liquid that's gonna be so loud. <laughs> you're gonna end up cutting that out. And JD's gonna be like, uh, Jeff, can you uh, can, can we just cut out this whole intro bit? of this <laughs> episode? Can we just get rid of the whole thing?" That's yeah. gonna be what you. Do. I should have leaned back. I guess. Sorry. I,
3: I think Jeff's gonna quit with all the editing work we throw at him. <laughs> I think you're gonna quit
0: after you hear that. <laughs> I might quit too.
3: Who knows? Oh man, I I, I need to apologize because like I'm working on almost no sleep. Um, most of my family and friends are down in Florida where this hurricane hit, so I've been busy, you know, on the phone and texting. Like I, I lost contact with my family yesterday. I think two 30 was like the last text that I got from anybody. Um, finally got a hold of my sister about, I, I guess about 20 minutes ago. Um, she sent me a quick video. Now she, she's, um, they're in Englewood, Florida, you know, which is, you know, Punta Gorda, I think is where the, the eye actually came, came ashore, but like, it's all right there. Um, my sister's house is about 10 miles off the coast and, um, it's complete, like the house itself is okay, but the property and all the streets, everything around it completely underwater. Um, like they were just cruising their neighborhood in a, in a boat this morning, um, um, so it just makes me wonder what's going on closer to shore. Uh, my mom is right on the water. We actually got her out of there, so we don't know what's going on with her house. There's nobody nearby to, to talk to. Um, I still haven't reached my brother. Um, he's pretty close to the water too. He's right on the river, right right off the intercoastal there. Um, so yeah, it's it's a mess down there. So thoughts and prayers and all that kind of stuff going out to everybody. Um, hope everybody's okay.
2: Yeah, it is. It's some serious stuff. And I saw. Um, I was watching the news and I saw the footage from Punta Gorda and my. My brother's uh, wife's family lives in Punta Gorda, uh, but they, they are up, they're up north. So luckily they're not there, but they have no idea what they're returning to.
3: Well, there's a lot of bridges out. Um, we've got a place in Sanibel, and that, that bridge, you know, it's, it's gone. I guess from what I've been told. I, I'm trying to find pictures of it online, um, but it's you know a sizable, you know, big causeway, and apparently it's either washed out or a section of it broke off. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, but this was a nasty storm. I got, you know, I lived in Florida for a long time. I've been through a bunch of different hurricanes. They all suck. Like it doesn't matter if they, you know, they say it's a little tropical storm or, or something big. Um, they're they're all brutal. But I, I saw an overlay yesterday of this one on top of um, Charlie, and Charlie is the one that hit Punta Gorda the last time it did a ton of damage and like the entire hurricane more or less fit in the eye of this one um just to put it all in perspective and it you know it's the wind and all that i mean it's, it's horrible but like usually the speed of the storm is what really gets you you know if the storm crawls across the state and takes five or six hours to get from one end to the other that's where it really does significant damage um you know the fast moving ones are usually a lot better and, and this one was a little bit of both it was slow and it was big um, you know, and just dumped a ton of water. I mean, I, I I had friends that told me that they were they had already gotten nine to ten inches of water before the storm even you know the eye of the storm even reached them. You know, like at the beginning of this thing. Um, so there's no telling where they're at now. So scary stuff makes
2: me glad I live in New England. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Oof. Um. So what are you guys working on this week? What's keeping you up all night, JD?
3: <laughs> just just that honestly like i just being yeah. on the phone um i'm still working on the, the same book i've got a another a nonfiction type project that I'm, i've been working on um i don't want to go into a whole lot of detail there yet because it's it's not really something i could talk about but it, it's shaping up into something very cool um you know we, it, basically a triple threat uh, threat another podcast with a, a docu-series uh, you know something you might find like on hbo um along with a book um so we'll, we'll see where that goes um and then i'm just trying to wrap up the, the latest thriller what are you guys doing?
0: Yeah, I'm just, uh, this week has been, you know, just kind of keeping my head down, trying to catch up. I feel like, uh, had a couple of different projects pile up on me and stuff. And so it's kind of, uh, yeah, just keep my head down. Cause I'm going out of town this weekend. So, um, me and me and my daughter are going to go see my folks for a few days because uh, she's going to be on fall break. So uh, we're going to go do that for about four days. And then I come back and I'm here like a day and a half. And then, uh, uh, former guest of the show, T.W. Piperbrook is coming to hang with me for a few days down here. So, um, I don't know how much we're going to, we've told ourselves we're going to work, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that actually happens. So, um, he, I know he's trying to wrap his latest book before he comes down here. So, um, I'm going to have to put on some noise canceling headphones at the coffee shop and tell him to shut up, which as Jay knows will be nearly impossible. But um, I have to I have to give some updates on that once he comes and hangs. So that should that should be fun.
2: How's so. that short story gonna get done, man?
0: <laughs> I'll get it, I'm gonna get it done. I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm actually gonna write that. I'm gonna finish that tomorrow. Oh, so um, that's my uh, plan. Hopefully, you'll get that tomorrow. So yeah, we don't joking, though. though you, don't come you, yelling at me. <laughs> yeah,
2: you, you, we need that for our, uh, an anthology for the uh, Vampires of New Orleans, which uh, we're gonna be pushing out in October, right? I think we kind of decided on that. Is that the plan?
0: Just put it all out in public. That, that's put, put even more pressure on me. That's perfect. No pressure though. Yeah. Something like that.
3: I'm, so. I'm a complete dick when I have people visiting. I just, I go in my office and lock the door anyway. You know, my, <laughs> my, my, my family will be here and my wife will be like out in the kitchen with, with my parents, you know, here <laughs> my my mom, like trying to keep them entertained so I can knock out a couple thousand words. Uh, oh, well, look, guys, look, I should I, probably, I, I should yeah. probably rethink all that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do some work and stuff and we're going to do some in person, uh, brainstorming and stuff on some, uh, you know, our own stuff. Like I, I love doing that. I mean, I, I miss Jay, that's one thing I really miss about when we work together is when we would meet in Cincinnati or whatever, and we would rent an Airbnb and just like in the same t- room, in the same room. Like yeah. there there's, there's just something about that, you know, that you can't do over zoom or whatever. I mean, being in the same room is awesome. And, um, you know, he and so he and I are going to do some, some of that sort of stuff with stories and with marketing type stuff and all that. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And we're going to see smashing pumpkins, which is kind of what prompted this whole thing. So that will be a, that'd be a lot of fun. So yeah. nice. Jay, what you got going on, dude.
2: I finished uh first draft, uh, yesterday. So that was pretty cool. It was very, very thin dialogue. Only first drafts, uh, clocked in around 40,000 words. I uh, probably going to have to double that, but, uh, but I, put, I, I did it in, in 15 days, uh, not 15 straight days, about 21 days total, but 15 working days. And I love the pace, like that pushing through the story that fast, even though it's a really thin draft, um, was good for me, uh, especially someone who, who likes revision. Like I'm looking forward to going back and kind of filling it all in. So did you outline this one in advance or you just kind of pantsed it? I had... Uh, I, I won't I won't call it an outline. I probably had uh 5 or 10 key scenes and I and I was kind of building the outline as I was writing it. Um and yeah. So it it's not a pure pants um and there was some structure there because it's a it's a mystery so I had to kind of know how I wanted to wrap it up or how I wanted to solve it um but before I started writing, but it was very very
0: little planning on it. That's interesting. I mean, that that you did it like that. I love that. And um how I'm I'm curious too. Like so, what is doing this dialogue only first draft like this? I know you mentioned you led. Like so, what's the next step for you? Are you going to go back and read through and like edit the dialogue? Or are you going to go in and start filling everything in, uh, all, everything else in, or what's the next step look like? I'm going to
2: fill it in next. I'm going to say okay. I'm going to I'm going to do a whole pass on the dialogue to get the uh, to get the voices distinct for each character. Right now, they're just all the same voice. Uh, but what I did as I was writing it. Um, is instead of, I was doing dialogue and in between dial- passages of dialogue, uh, because I'm writing this in first person, I was, ex- I was saying what the character felt. So I would say, you mm. know, like John walked into the coffee shop, um, you know, he says, uh, I'd like a latte. And then, and then before the next dialogue, I put, John is really nervous about the upcoming meeting. So when I go back and yeah. fill it in, I know exactly what sort of emotional connection I need to make in that scene.
0: It's almost in a way like Ryan, a screenplay. It kind of, kind of, sorta. With yeah. it d- those, you don't have stage direction necessarily, but you, but kind of
2: right. going on. Right, and this is kind of what I did on the on the project that JD was helping me with a few years ago. It was dialogue only too, but I didn't put the emotional. I, I, I was, I was putting the staging in, like who was walking into the room and who left, and what the weather was like. And when I went back, I, I had to, it was really hard for me to reconnect the, to the emotional moment that was happening. So this time I was like, okay, now I'm going to make sure that I, that I put the emotion in there because that way when I come back and I read that dialogue, I'll be able to fill it in a whole lot easier.
3: Yeah, so this all kind of came out of an an exercise I used to do with mentoring clients um, and and back when I taught. um, Anytime you write like a dialogue only, it just forces you to to really fine tune that dialogue. Um, You can tell exactly who is saying what or if you do it properly, you should be able to tell um and you know it, i i think i have seen it really benefit a lot of authors because i think if you're just if you're typing the book straight through you know adding everything in and, and not going just dialogue only it's real easy for those kind of things to get lost for your characters to all sound the same um and this forces you to have to differentiate between them
0: yeah that's interesting that's cool yeah i'll, I'll be was, interested to hear more about it as you
2: can yeah continue. yeah and i and i like i was thinking of you particularly zach on doing this um But I know that you're you're not a big fan of revision. And as I was doing this, I was thinking like this is kind of like the, this is the holy grail for someone who likes to revise because essentially I'm getting a really bare bones draft in, and now everything else after this feels like revision as opposed to staring at the blank screen, and and that's like that that second act slog has always been
0: challenging for me. And because I was moving through
2: the story so fast, I never felt that. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I'd be open to trying. But yeah, I mean, it's that's uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, but hopefully, it keeps working for you and you really like it. It's it's cool, like you know, to uh, to switch things up like that and that you're willing to do that. Even you know, I mean, uh, not having such a strict outline, I think, is 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 really really cool too, and just shows like we change and evolve as writers and we try different things. You know, we're never stuck. Even if we sit here and talk about all the time, like, oh, outlining, blah, 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 like, we're never stuck on one process and willing to try other things. So, yeah, yeah. So it was good. It was good. Well, why don't we take care of some business and then we'll
2: get to uh, our special guests, plural, this week? Guests. Uh, Guests. I want (laughs) to give a nice shout out to the folks over there at Kobo Writing Life that empower you, the author, to take your self publishing career into your own hands. Remember, with Kobo, you get to set your price, you keep all your rights. You get monthly promotional opportunities, and you don't have to be exclusive. So, if you're listening in the car, you can go to kobowritinglife.com right now, or you can use the link in the show notes. JD, who's up this week?
3: All right. So this is a biggie. Um, So ITW puts out anthologies on a fairly regular basis. I think there's one every other year or so. Um, This one Harlan Coben was in charge of, and he basically came up with this concept called Birds of Prey uh, and reached out to some of his friends. Um, It releases October uh, 6th. Uh, It's going to be an audio original um, at the get-go, and I believe a year later so the print edition is going to come out. Uh, But we've got a a pretty decent panel here. We've got Kathy Wrights coming on, Hank Felipe Ryan, Tess Garrison, Allison Brennan, and Heather Graham. So here they are.
0: All right, so uh, we have a really special and exciting episode here today. Uh, usually we have one, sometimes two authors on the show, but uh, this week we have an entire group <laughs> and uh, we're here to talk about a a really cool new uh, collection that's coming out uh, called Birds of Prey. Um, and uh, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, but before we get into that, I just, I want to give everyone a very uh, brief moment to introduce yourselves to our audience and, uh, you know, maybe tell us the, the latest thing you, latest book you have out. So uh, Kathy, we'll start with you.
4: I'm Kathy Reichs, and I'm the author of the Temperance Brennan Bones series. And the 21st book in that series just came out, and it's called Cold, Cold Bones.
0: Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you here. Um, Hank, you're next.
4: I'm Hank Phillippe Ryan, the USA
1: Today bestselling author of 13 going on 14 novels of suspense, my newest Her Perfect Life is out now, but the brand new one will come out in February. It's called The House Guest, and it's sort of Gaslight meets Thelma and Louise.
0: Nice, nice. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, Tess.
1: Yes, I'm Tess Gerritsen. And my most recent
5: novel is the number 13 in the Resilient Isles series called Listen to Me.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for being back on the show. You were on not too long ago. So, <laughs> um, Allison.
6: Hey, I'm Allison Brennan, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author of, I think, 44 books now. And uh, my latest one is came out in paperback, The Wrong Victim. Um, the hardcover came out earlier in the year. And then my next book is in January called Don't Open the Door.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for being here. And last but certainly not least, Heather.
7: Hi, I'm Heather Graham. And I'm the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse series. Crimson Summer came out this year. And in um, October, the 38th book in the Crew of Hunter series will come out. And it is called Voice
0: of Fear. Awesome, awesome. Well, th- well, thank you all for being here for sure. And uh, we are here today to talk about the Birds of Prey, uh, the Harlan Coben Challenge. Which honestly, just seeing that on the sales page on Audible uh, raises an eyebrow and makes you know. It, I know it made me want to read more and be like, "What is this all about?" <laughs> that's that. That's really that's really interesting. Um, and so, from the Audible page here uh i I love this line that they put where it says it all started with a simple yet sneakily difficult challenge from global best-selling author harlan coben pick a bird of prey then use it as the inspiration for a brand new story i think that's a really really cool concept um i guess we'll we'll start with tess here i'm curious um how how exactly i i know that uh the ITW, the International Thriller Writers, is involved in this. Um, and but how how exactly did this project like come about from behind the scenes?
5: Well, I don't know if I can tell you behind the scenes. I just, okay. I, got, I got invited and I thought, this is a really fun challenge. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, so behind the scenes, I don't know what everybody else thought of it, but I just thought, wow, I want to, I want to give this a try. And because I see seagulls outside my window every day, I thought, there's my bird of prey.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, Kathy, how, how did you come to be involved in the project?
4: Well, ITW um doesn't charge any fees to be a member. So the way the organization raises money is to do anthologies. And I participated in an earlier th- anthology. What was that called? Um Matchup, I think. Uh edited by Leap Child. And I had a good time with that. So when I was invited to participate in Birds of Prey, um that was on my mind that it was a good experience. And also I thought it would be really fun to, I've done so many Temperance Brennan TV and books and whatever that I thought it would be really fun to create a brand new character. So Owls appealed to me. So I decided to create a character who goes by the name Owl.
0: So Allison, as as Kathy mentioned, this is, you know, the, the ITW uh, does a lot of different anthologies and such. So is this a sort of thing where, um, because I don't know, like this just feels it's really I think it's really interesting how you know the the challenge was put out there by Harlan sort of thing and, and, and gave you guys all this prompt. Is it is it the sort of thing where um it, it, it's open for anyone the ITW join or is, are you invited or how, how does that sort of work?
6: Well, I think there's been several thriller anthologies over the years. Um usually what happens is the organization, the publications chair will invite Um, some of their best-selling authors, because obviously, if like Kathy said, the anthologies pay for the organization. So you want to have some big-name authors like Lee Child and Tess Garrison um, to be uh, leading the anthology so that we can raise money to support the organization. Um, And then there is almost always an opportunity for um, new authors or unpublished authors to submit stories to be considered to be included in the anthology. And I know several authors who had their first short story published in either the Thriller One or the Thriller Two. Or thriller, I actually um, was the managing editor of Thriller Three, which was edited by Sandra Brown. So we, you know, we try to include some you know newer authors in with the names that are actually gonna sell the book, which helps them and it helps the organization. So when I was asked to do this one, I was, um, you know, very excited because it was I like having, hey, this is your thing, you know, I did one called odd partners, odd partners, you know, it's like, ooh, I got something I had to, you know, kind of spurs your imagination and get things going. So doing a bird of prey. It just really made me think and actually since CJ Box stole my bird of prey, which was the peregrine falcon. <laughs> I actually had to come up with something. I wanted it. Okay, this is a little, little bit of gossip, but a little fun thing. My brother-in-law was a head of the peregrine falcon project at the University of Colorado, so I had an in. I knew, ev- I knew I could know everything about these birds, and I wanted to write about them. But he got it first, so I picked the desert dwelling bald eagle, which is made only in Arizona, where I live. So that's that's how
0: I got that one. That was fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's really cool to hear about the ITW too. Cause it definitely sounds, uh, you know, different than a lot of other writer organizations to where, you know, the, the way that the money is raised. And as you say, it's really cool to, you know, that you get to be involved in these projects with all these other authors and, and, you know, of, of different, you know, Elks and all that. So that's awesome. Um, and, and you kind of hit at something else I want to ask a couple of y'all, which, uh, we'll go to Heather for this one. You know, having such a defined um, writing prompt to write, you know, birds of prey. I mean, that's really, really interesting. Um, Did you find that to be like more difficult to start with a prompt like that? Or did it feel, you know, easier for you than, you know, starting from scratch with nothing? Well, no, I I actually love having something like
7: that, because it takes us out of um, but, you know, it is. It's exactly that, a challenge. It's something different than what we're doing already. And I think in my instance, when I first heard it, um, if you drive, I'm in Miami. If you drive from Miami to the Keys, you will see probably a hundred vultures on the way. So I thought vulture. And then I thought, no, that's not a bird of prey. That's uh that's yeah, a carrion bird. So, or what do they call them? Scavenger bird. Anyway, um, so then I thought I would do the California condor cause it's so cool and it's so neat and it's so beautiful. And then I found out that it's actually not a bird of prey either, <laughs> but I decided I was going to use it. But then again, we had one of our authors use a Falcon car. So it kind of, you know, pushes your imagination, you know, a little bit to, uh, to different places. And I also, um, I'm, uh, Harlan Coben is one of the nicest human beings walking the earth and kind of like, um, and. Also, I read everything the ladies on here with me today write. And so I'm thrilled to be with them in, in this project.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's really cool to hear. Um, you know, when you just get a prompt like that, as you said, the different directions people can take it, you know, with using a car or, you know, really thinking about where you live, you know, cause I'm sure many of you come from different places and there's different sorts of birds and the climates and stuff. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, Hank, I'll pose the same question to you. Um, you know, what, did you f- have any difficulties with the, the prompt or did you find it more freeing than starting from scratch or?
1: I love I love having a prompt. I I love that because the key of a good story, you know, we all we all think I need a good idea, I need a good idea. And when you have a prompt, there are some doors that are closed, but there are just a few doors that are open. I got an email from Chuck Box from CJ Box who was work, Who was working on this anthology and one of the leads in it, editors in it, and I, I didn't even read any farther than, you want to be part of the ITW new anthology, I'm like, yes, of course I do, this sounds fantastic, with the fabulous Harlan and Chuck Box, CJ Box, um, and then I read, then I read, so we're doing Birds of Prey, and I thought, really, what am I supposed to write about birds, you know, talk about a diabolical, I love what you said about it's actually difficult, and I really thought, I mean, as I enthusiastically agreed to do it before having any idea what I would possibly write, as we all do, because uh, it seemed like such a good idea. Um, I really thought about it, and I probably overthought what I would do. And as a result of my serious overthinking, which none of us has ever done before, right, be making, um, I came up with a, with a great idea, which turned out to be a terrible idea. And I, I presented it to the group. We had a big group meeting early on and we all sort of had to tell what our birds were. And I gave what I thought was this marvelous idea. And we were on Zoom so I could see everyone's reaction. And everybody was nodding like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I had picked the host eagle, which is extinct. It's apparently one of the largest birds of prey that ever existed. And, the, and in New Zealand legends, it would carry off children. Uh, and it finally became extinct because it couldn't feed itself enough to exist. And I thought, ooh, that sounds like a corporate story to me, right? A big corporation that chews up any, everything in its wake. Uh, and then I couldn't write it. And we can talk later about what I finally did write. But I, I it, was a, it, it was one of those ideas that started out to seem good, but didn't. And isn't that the essence of writing? Sort of having a good idea and seeing if it goes anywhere. And I got to tell you, mine didn't. So thank goodness I had another
0: one. Well, I think what's really cool too that you brought up is, um, you know, writing is usually a very solitary thing. And I think the fact that you all were able to get on a call together and talk about your different ideas, like, uh, you know, that obviously was able to lead you to what I'm guessing was a was a better story for you. Um, and, and sometimes just being able to talk those things out with others uh, is, is, is really cool. So, I mean, did you... Um, I can follow up with you on this, Hank. Like, did you guys have multiple calls during this process that you know where you were bouncing ideas off each other and such? Or probably
1: other probably the other people had calls that I wasn't on because I was in the other room whining about how I couldn't think of a, I couldn't think of a good story. <laughs> no, I think there was a lot of um I, I can I can speak for myself and when I say I think ooh, I wish I had could read all of the other stories. I haven't read them yet. And I'm just sitting here seething with envy and curiosity about what everyone else wrote because the ideas are so, you know, when you hear Tess's idea about seagulls, you just think, oh yeah, that's sinister. And I could hear that and I can smell that and I can see that, how that might work. And everyone's ideas are great. And I finally um, did not pick a real bird of prey. I picked jailbirds, two people who are jailbirds and they turn out to be birds of prey as well. So um, they want, you know, I was, I would, I would, and I got the idea for it. We'll talk about it in a while, but I, it was one of those moments where I thought, oh yeah, that is going to work. And you've all had those moments, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, those, those are great. Like <laughs> those, those are great moments to have. Um, so one other, some, something else I wanted to bring up that, um, that I don't think I mentioned at the top of this is uh, th- this book is an audible original. So, um, this book is, is as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know is only available in audio. Um, so, uh, Kathy, I'll go to you with this question. Cause this is something I was curious about. Um, and, and I don't know if you all knew this was going to be audio only when you went into it. But, um, part of my question is I know from talking to, um, other authors before, and I don't think this totally positive to audio, but I know when they're like if you talk to screenwriters or even if you talk to people who are writing their novel with the intention of knowing that it's, it's very likely going to become a movie. There are things they think about that they might not think about if it was just going to be a book, um, you know, like size of cast, like things around the budget and stuff like that. Again, things you're not necessarily going to have with an audiobook, but I, I'm curious and and Kathy, I'll come to you first with this one. Um, did you, did that come into play when you're writing your story at all? Like that knowing again, assuming you did know that it was going to be audio. Like, did you did you think about that when writing the story?
4: Well, I didn't because I'm an idiot and half of life goes over my head and I didn't know it was just going to be audio. So I just wrote it as, and I don't have much experience writing short stories. I haven't done that many. So I just wrote it as a short story. I agree with you. It's very different. I've written for television and it's a very different uh, process than writing f- for print or even, I guess, for audio. So, I guess to answer your question, no, I didn't modify anything, and and maybe I should have, and maybe mine is going to read like someone that wrote for the print printed page. <laughs>
0: um, uh, Hank, what about what about you? Well, I think it, it's
1: interesting because, like Kathy, I don't think I knew it was only going to be an audio book, and I'm happy to hear you say that, but. I, audiobooks have really changed my life once I realized that people were so devoted to them. And it's, it's amazing how many people read audiobooks. I started thinking about how, and not just for this short story, but for, for my books, how necessary it is to think about that your book may be only heard rather than being read, which means that you instantly have to ground the reader in setting and character. So, because what you're trying to do in a book, and especially in an audiobook, is to start the movie in their mind of the story so they can start picturing it. And in an audiobook, especially, you need to do that because the, the reader is not looking at words, they're looking at whatever they're looking at. So, in order to draw them into the world of the story, you need to give them a big setting right away. Um, and make everything incredibly clear. Because in a book, when there are words on a page, if you think, who's that guy? You can go back and, and look and flip the pages back. Um, or if you think, where are we again? You can flip the pages back. But an audiobook moves inexorably forward. And so if you, if the writer isn't clear from moment one, you'll lose the reader. And I, and I I'm very aware of that. Um, and, I, and I try to use that. I tried to think about that exactly as you say, think about that in writing this story, as well as my novels, too, because I think audiobooks are so much a part of our lives now.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. Tests.
1: I actually asked this question about whether it will show up in print,
5: um, and what I understand is that for this year it is in audio only, but next year um, they will be um, approaching print publishers to uh, to have a print edition of it. Um, okay. So. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't i didn't even think about whether it – I didn't have any idea what format it was. I just started writing a story. Um, and I think that for most of us, we, there wasn't a lot of joint plotting or planning. I think we all sort of gave our ideas of what bird we were going to do, and then we all went into our separate rooms and hid away and wrote our own stories. So these are still very, very much individual stories that um, – that we are personally responsible for, our little section, we're responsible for that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And to uh, to come back to to something Hank said, which was which is just really interesting about audiobooks, um, which kind of leads to my next question is,, uh, you know, you talked about keeping the reader engaged and stuff. And another part of that is, um you know as an as an avid audiobook listener myself, um, what's really interesting about audio is the writing can be fantastic it can be an amazing, engaging story, but the narrator can take you out of it. So there's that extra added layer of, um, uh, of, of possible resistance for, for a listener. Um, you know, you guys had a great cast for for this and, and, and had great narrators. Um, and I guess I go to Allison for this one. Um, did y'all have any say on who the narrator for your individual stories would be, or was that an audible thing or did, you know, the, did Harlan or ITW come up with that or. Um, it was Audible. Okay. Yeah.
6: No. It was. It was Audible. They came up with it, and then they sent me who my narrator was going to be, so I could listen to see what her voice. And I. I fell in love with her. I absolutely love her. Um, my publisher actually lets me pick. Most like send me a list of who's available, and then I can select. So I have different narrators for different series. Um, but like you said, you're an avid audiobook listener. I never listen to audiobooks until about a year and a half ago when i started walking every morning and realized i walked longer if i had a good book to listen to and so now i actually have listened to more audiobooks in the last year than i've actually read print books and i and i speed them up because i talk very fast and so i listen fast i guess <laughs> but you are absolutely right narrators make the make the book i mean i there's a couple books that I will only read in print because I don't like the narrator, and then there's some books that you know I'm happy to read them in print, but the narrator is so good yeah. that I now have an Audible membership just so that I can go and get books a little bit cheaper because I was spending way too much money on audiobooks, and um, so that, that was just just me. But I think the audiobooks—I just know looking at my numbers that audiobook uh, downloads and sales have skyrocketed over the last two years maybe three years just astronomically and I think it's going to only grow as far as my story and one of the things that um uh, both Kathy and Hank touched upon was I've actually ever since I started writing I had somebody gave me advice and I do not remember who that said you should read your books out loud and I I've read my books out loud ever since I was published first published so in the when I get the final page proofs I sit there and read them out loud. One, I catch a lot of typos that my publisher misses and I missed um, because I'm reading it out loud, but also I could hear things that, okay, that doesn't sound right. Or I use two of the same word within one sentence of each other. Why didn't I see that? You know. So I think that helps to for your audiobook when it comes out that it's gonna be a lot more fluid because you've already read it yourself.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. I, I do the same thing. It's, it's, it's very, very helpful to do that. And you catch a lot of stuff. Uh, Heather,
7: I fell in love with audiobooks way, way in the past because we have five children. And every year we <laughs> pack up the five children every summer to drive from Miami uh, to Massachusetts because my husband's Italian and happens to have 200 cousins. And so we would make that trip every every year. And I think the only way to survive a really long car trip with five children is to find a lot of good audio books, because then after you stop for lunch, they don't whine and complain. They want to get back in the car so that they can hear the rest of the story. Um, they were books on tape <laughs> back then.
0: I was, I was going to say this. My dad still calls them. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, I'm sorry, Hank.
1: You know, it's interesting because when we were all little, if we were lucky, someone would put us on their laps and say once upon a time and tell us a story or even read us a story. And I think that, that emotional connection with being told the story, having the story unfold as you're listening and, and you let the, your imagination um, show you the story is something that we're all comfortable with. And we love being in that place of you know, tell me a story. And then and that's what this book provides. That's what audio books provide. So there's a there's sort of a a palpable sense of that, isn't there that you're that you're being
4: wrapped in a story. Also, I'm, I'm a big double tasker. And if I'm doing something that's tedious or boring or whatever, I love to have something going on in my head that's keeping me engaged. Or if I'm walking my three miles on the beach, you know, it's something that Inspires me to go out and do that rather than trudge along and be bored.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love what Allison said about that too, about uh, it makes her walk longer. That's kind of my trick is like I-, I reward the only time I allow myself to listen to audiobooks is if I'm either like doing chores or if I'm out walking, because <laughs> it makes me want to go do those things. Because I, you know, especially if I'm listening to a really good book.
1: Well, it's a, that's a, that's that's Scheherazade knew that trick, right? just keep the story going, keep the story going, and you'll be able to survive. So that's what, that's what we're doing.
0: (laughs) Now, um, Tess, I'll come, I'll come to you with, with this one. Um, And I'm not sure if you'll know this or not, but do you, do you know uh, as much as you could actually talk about like how this became an audible original and how y'all ended up going down that route with this.
5: Oh, I'm sorry. You're asking the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, I'm all I can, all I'm responsible for is the storytelling. I'm not a good organist. I'm not a good organizational people. All I can say is thank heavens for ITW and and for, for Harlan for coming up with this.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: And you got to wonder, you got to wonder how he came up with it though. Because what, you know, what were, the, what were the ideas that he tossed, right?
7: <laughs> there is a publications committee. So I'm assuming, because um, I know I've done a bunch of them, but they've all been through the publications committee who, um, and then of course, I guess the publications committee would ask Harlan and then they would ask CJ, either that or Harlan just walked in one day and said, hey, I want to do a book on birds of prey. <laughs> you know, like what, what are the other something in there?
0: Yeah. No, it, it, it makes, it makes sense. And, um, yeah, y- y'all, y'all kind of touched on this already, but, um, I, I, I want to, um, to, to kind of, I guess to kind of close us out and I'll give, um, you know, at least a few of you, a couple of you, a chance to answer this. I want to ask, um, a, a variation of the question that Jay, if you've been on our podcast before, you've probably got a variation of this question from Jay. Um, and, and I'm curious, uh, and, and we can, we can start with Kathy on this one, uh, what um what do you think the future holds for audiobooks? Like, do you think we, we've mentioned on here that uh you know, I, I think it was Allison specifically who said like she sees her sales in audiobooks just continuing to grow. And um, I know I can see that with my my own books as well. And I think that that's just an industry trend. Um, you know, and, and we just recently got the news that Spotify is about to get in the game, which we talked about in Writers Inc recently. Um, And I'm I'm just curious, like, what do you think the future holds? And uh, will they continue to grow and bring in new readers who might not otherwise consume books?
4: Oh, I think absolutely. Um, It is growing, as has been pointed out. I think what's going to change is maybe the technology of delivery. You know, we've gone from tapes to disks to streaming now, I guess, is where we get them. Um, or downloading onto our devices, that kind of thing. So I guess delivery will get more sophisticated or easier, maybe cheaper. <laughs> I don't know. There's no question. I think it, it, you know, it's going to grow, and especially as the baby boomers get older and their their vision is beginning to go and their eyesight isn't as good, you know, they may choose to to listen to books on tape instead.
0: Uh, Hank, what what about what are your thoughts on that?
4: I think it's interesting and such a such a
1: wonderful question because I, I started out my career in broadcasting in 1970 as a radio reporter as a radio reporter. So my, I was telling stories only with words and my voice, and I realized what a powerful medium that was to draw on the imagination of the reader while painting the most glorious, fulfilling, clear, captivating picture that you could. Just with words. And that combination of words and voice is captivating to people. So I think once people realize, once people figure out how, this is hard to describe, but once people figure out how they're going to be when they're listening, I mean, listen to everyone here who has said, I read when I walk on the beach, I read when I do housework, I read when I'm in the car, in audiobooks. It's something that you can do while you're doing something else. And it's something you can do completely on your own. The rest of the world just goes away when you're listening to an audiobook. It makes you fully immersed in the story more than being more than reading a book. Because in a book, somebody can knock on the door or the birds can sing or somebody will honk or there can be a siren and you're interrupted. You're taken out of the world. But with those headphones on. And in the world of the audiobook, um, there's nothing that comes between you and the story. And I think that's what makes audiobooks so wonderful.
0: Awesome. Tess.
5: Well, you know, as somebody who um, actually favors print, I may, I may be the out, the outlier <laughs> here in that I don't drive very, very far. I, when I take my walks, I'm listening to birds. Um, but I, if I were a, um, somebody who had to commute every day, I would definitely be using audiobooks. It's just a matter of how you, it fits into your own lifestyle and, and what your other activities are.
0: Allison as I mentioned you you know you, you specifically mentioned that you just see your sales continue to grow so uh, I'll, I'll pose the same question for you and how you're looking at that you know affecting your business in the future as you're seeing those trends
6: um, I think audiobooks are going to be the same thing that ebooks did that they're going to reach a plateau at some point I don't think we're there and then just hold steady and so it's one of the things, one of the benefits I think for readers is that they can enjoy books any way they want them. They want to read a print book. They want to read an ebook. If they want to listen to an audio book, they have that option. Whereas in the past, um, like even my first book came out in 2006, it didn't automatically come out in audio. Now all new books are coming out in audio when the book is released. Um, And I think that has definitely changed. It used to be, I mean, my first six books are not in audio at all. Um, So I think. Now that that is a a common thing for all new authors to also have an audiobook, they're going to be able to grow their audience. Um, And it gives readers more options. And I like giving my readers options. I don't read eBooks mostly because I write at the computer all day and I don't want to read a book on my tablet. I mean, I have an iPad and I'll like read if I have to like an arc or something, but I want to either read and print usually in the pool or the bathtub <laughs> or I'm going to listen to my audio books when I'm walking, you know, it's like, those are, those are my two options, but I can now. And cause every book I want to read is going to be available in those formats. So I, that makes me happy.
0: Yeah. Heather, uh, you know, you said you've been, you books on tape, as I said, my, <laughs> my dad still back. calls them as well. So yeah. I,
6: I
7: was going to say when I first, my, um, my previous life, um, I actually wound up doing many things, but my main thing is, I worked in dinner theater for years and I worked for the um, Gallaudet Theater for the deaf. And one of the things that they did is our motions were also, you know, supposed to be very big so that we were projecting what we were doing and you made sure you mapped everything correctly. And but the other thing is they also taped everything because they would then have the tape for all of their people who were blind and they would have the visual for all of the people who were deaf. So there are a lot of people who are now you know, visually impaired. And I think that it's also a great thing to have. I mean, a lot of them were done like that to begin with, and a lot of them are done in braille, but I do think that uh, for, for any of those people who do have any type of handicap, they're also a great thing. And I do see them growing because <laughs> especially, um, I think things uh, definitely took a leap where people discovered during COVID, you know, that they were very easy to download and they could listen to them that way. Because I know a couple of times when, you know, during the heart of this, I would put on my mask and go to Barnes and Noble and everybody would worry about me, but it would be me, the little guy behind the Starbucks counter and the clerk. (laughs) So I think that a lot of things like books uh, ordered through the various places and also audio. Um, And I don't think it's like, oh, we had to do this because of COVID. I think we discovered it because of COVID.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I love you bringing up, you know, just accessibility. <clears throat> and and I think one thing we can all agree on is, as writers and just lovers of books, you know, the, um, the, the more people we have reading, whether they're listening or reading, you know, they're consuming books, um, with all the other things we're fighting against out there to get people's attention, um, however they're doing it, the better. So I think, uh, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. And a, and a great way to wrap this up. So, yeah. Um, so once again, uh, the book we're talking about is, uh, birds of prey, the Harlan Coben challenge. Um, it's out October 6th and, um, it is, again, it's an audible original, so you can pick it up, uh, on audible and, and enjoy all the stories from all of our guests today and, uh, and more. So, uh, Wow! Thank you all for coming. Um, this was uh, this was a really really awesome conversation, and uh, I definitely love talking about story and about audiobooks. books. So uh, we definitely uh, I, I appreciate all of you showing up and uh, and spend some time with us. Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you!
1: Can't wait to hear these stories.
2: <laughs> Before we uh, break down the panel, a quick reminder that if you are looking to cre- to create professional print books and eBooks easily in an all-in-one book writing software, check out Atticus. It's a book editor with a word count, goal tracking, cloud storage, and more. And you can literally format your book in three steps. And just today, I saw that they sent out an update on Atticus for footnotes. So if you're writing nonfiction, you've been struggling with footnotes, uh, they've got you covered. Zach, I'm going to turn it over to you, man. You did a, uh, a masterful job of handling a panel. And I'm saying that seriously, that is not an easy thing to do. Um, and you did a really good job with it. So we'll, let's kick it off with you.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I love how when we have more than two guests, your introvert kicks in and you have to <laughs> you have to bring in the Z team as it was. So, but no, um, but yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was, it was really interesting talking all to this group. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know, I'll start JD. I'm curious, like, I know you're part of ITW and stuff, and I don't know how much, <clears throat> if any uh, of you, you of involvement you had <clears throat> with this, but this particular project, I'm assuming you probably didn't, but um, I'm curious um, what your thoughts are of uh, like an audible like an audible the audible original part of this and it being an audio only thing for the first year.
3: Um yeah, this this one's been in the works for a while. So just like anything in in the traditional world, you know, a couple years or so lead time. Um, I'll try probably get involved on the next one or so. Um the Audible original thing is is really cool. I've actually got one that's in the works. Um, I I like it. So and it sounds like they're using the same structure that, you know, at least the one that I've talked to them about is, you know, basically they get an Audible exclusive on it for one year. Um, and then after that you're allowed to put it out as as print or or, you know, what other, you know, whatever formats you want to. Um, I like that a lot. Um, as an author one of the things that i really look for particularly with me being what i consider to be a hybrid you know like i I I sell everything a la carte. So, you know, my last book, I kept the English uh, territories for myself and put those out through my own, my own press. Um, we sold all the foreign rights to all the uh, traditional publishers that I normally would have used on, on a book. Audio rights went to somebody else. Um, I, I really like that. And one of the reasons that I like it is because it forces everybody to kind of get out there and do their own marketing. Um, they don't necessarily talk to each other, you know, so from my standpoint, that's a good thing because now I've got 10, 20, 30 players all out there marketing the same book, you know, instead of one publisher out there doing it um, audio or audible being a part of Amazon they've got the unique ability to get out there in front of that you know that audience you know like if you're an, an Amazon author you know if you're on one of the Amazon imprints it's very similar you know they can make sure they get your book in front of the, the, the proper customer they know what everybody's buying they know what they're looking at they know what they're browsing they know what's on their Kindle they know all these things um, and then they serve up their ads based on that um, and audible is basically the same thing but from the, the audio standpoint so they're, they're ticking a lot of boxes that an, an author Or even a you know a large publisher like Random House, if they put out an audiobook, they can't hit those those boxes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an Audible shopper and uh, and and user, and I know those Auto Originals are always like front and center. (laughs) So um, if if you get involved in one of those, uh, obviously it's uh, it's it's going to get a lot of promo attention. So um, Jay, I know you're not like a huge audiobook person. Um, I'm curious what you Uh, Like getting away from the audio side of it, like what do you think about um, the theme and the idea of writing to a prompt like that?
2: You know, it's it's a bit selfish, uh, but as an author, I love those kinds of things. Like I, when any type of anthology that is a uh, a prompt or a challenge or a theme, uh, it's for me it feels very creative. You know, it's like uh, I, I did a recent anthology and it was all about dragons. And I wrote a dragon story, but in a post-apocalyptic setting. So, like any time, I think you can take, you can force yourself, um, especially for those of us who have been, um, you know, writing for a little bit longer. Like if you can, if you can force yourself out of your regular routine or out of your go-to stuff, I think you find some, some really interesting nuggets um, to to mine. And and I'm and I and I'm. Uh, fairly certain that the ladies who were on the panel said that. I mean, like, you know, they, they all took that birds of prey in, in very different ways and uh, much more creative, I think, um, than they may have otherwise done.
3: Yeah. ITW is really good at that. Um, It's, all, all the anthologies are something different um, one of my favorites is called Matchup uh, where they basically took all these different authors they took their their lead character and they just matched up two of them so you know just imagine like Jack Reacher teaming up with Lincoln Rhyme to solve a crime you know that's basically what that book was like and in every anthology that they put out they've got some kind of unique twist on it like that so this is just an, another take on that I, I love that versus you know just that you know let's come up with a theme oh, we're going to make it all about this and and just go and let everybody do their own thing like this it just kind of takes it to another level
0: do you do you write to prompts very often when you uh jd like have you done that very much either in short stories or i mean probably not novels but
3: no I, I i don't um i'm terrible at, at short stories i mean i've got probably about 10 or 12 of them um that i've written but for me my, most of the time when i come up with an idea it just tends to grow into something longer either a novella or a full-on novel Um, I, I, it's one of those things when you're, you know, early on in your career, you know, I, I think a lot of people pressure you to put out short stories and they feel like you, it helps you get the, your name out there. You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to write a bunch of short stories. I'm going to get them in as many anthologies as possible. It's going to help me get my name out there and more people are going to discover me. Um, how many anthologies have you actually bought? You know, versus the number of books that you buy like it's you know unless it has a unique twist you know like this one you know it's it's a, a difficult thing i don't think a whole lot of people go out there and look for anthologies they look for a book by their favorite author um this this one's gonna you know it's got a unique theme to it and also it's with it being an audible original you know it's going to get that extra push so it's going to get the the audience um so i think it does in a, in a lot of ways it will steer people towards authors they may not have read before Um, but you know, on the flip side, like I, if I'm going to spend the time doing something, I would rather put that time into writing a book.
0: Yeah. You, you brought up something too, that I don't think gets talked about enough. Um, I mean, it definitely gets talked about, but I feel like not enough is, um, like writing a short story is not the same as writing a novel. I I mean, I think, uh, um, especially newer writers, I feel like kind of, um, don't really think about that a lot, but it told, I mean, I won't name any, but I could think off the top of my head a few different authors who I really don't like their longer works, but love their shorter fiction. I mean, it really is just like a totally different, um, you know, sort, sort of art form. So, Well, in, in a lot of
3: ways it's harder, right? Because you've yeah. got to, you know, you've got to introduce characters, you've got to introduce a storyline, you've got to start it, finish it, wrap everything up in 3,000 words. You know, like that, that's a difficult thing to do um, and, and do it properly. But yeah, there, there's plenty of authors out there that are, you know, excel at the short story and aren't very good at a novel and vice versa. You know, it's just like anything else. You got to figure out where your, your sweet spot is and just kind of go with it.
2: I've always felt like to be good at short stories, you have to be ruthless with your own words because uh, not that there's a, not that every word doesn't count in a novel, but it, it's, it counts even more when you're, when you only have 3000 words or 5,000 words to use. Literally every word matters so you have to be ruthless. And and I've found, even as like an editor, I found it difficult for a lot of authors to accept uh, editing or revisions on a short story because like, wow, that really needs to be in there. And I'm like, does it? <laughs> does it really need to be in there? Because this is not a novel. This is not a novella. And like, you have to be really tight and really efficient with your storytelling. And
0: and that's that's really hard to do. Yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is definitely a cool project. And it's, It's uh, it's really cool to see uh, the ITW doing things like this. And I I think one of the one of the ladies on the podcast even mentioned, um, you know, it's just cool to have get the different mix of people uh, in in there. And, you know, you get to you know, they get some of them get to be in a short story collection with Harlan Coben where they might not otherwise be able to and stuff. So uh, that was that was really cool.
3: Um, you actually asked one of them, I, I'm not sure who it was, a, a really good question, and that's the difference between writing for audiobooks versus text. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't think a lot of authors actually think about this, and, and I know I didn't until I started listening to my own audiobooks, but like certain things that I do work great on paper, but don't work at all in an audiobook. Yeah. So to give to give you an example, in um, the 4MK series, um, I use a, an evidence board, you know, basically similar to what a police officer would do or a detective if they're trying to solve a crime. They've got a big whiteboard up in their office and they kind of write all these things out. You're here's my suspects, here's the things that we found. Um, Throughout the book, I basically start off with a blank page. And then every couple of chapters, I throw that evidence board back in there with, you know, and I keep it updated as the story unfolds. And when you're doing that on paper, it it works perfectly fine. Um, But when an audio narrator gets to it, it has to read every single thing on that evidence board over and over again, it takes them out of the story. Um, So that's a conversation I've actually had with the the narrators. Um, And also just, you know, like I use timestamps at the beginning of my chapters, you know, which on paper, again, you know, you glance over it it makes sense it helps keep everything straight but when the narrator has to read it it takes you out of the story
0: i I remember i remember hearing a uh, conversation years ago with rc bray uh, the narrator where he was talking about the martian and um (laughs) the martian had a similar thing like that and uh where there was just i don't remember if it was like some kind of like morse code sort of thing or some some i mean you guys know how andy writes like it's very scientific but it was like there were parts in the book where there was like a 28, like 28, 40, 50 character code in the book. And, and I, and he mentioned that he had asked the guys at podium, like, do I have to read that? And they were like, yeah, you have to read the text. Exactly. <laughs> and he had to read all those characters out like a robot and stuff. And it's, yeah. So there's things like it, obviously that book ended up being massively successful in audio, but um, yeah, you're, you're totally right uh, about that. And there's definitely things that don't come across as well um an audio as they do on text. So um but yeah really really interesting discussion this week and and very, very cool project. And um again, we're very thankful to have uh that whole panel on and and definitely uh yeah it was great. So thank you all for showing up. So uh JD, who do we have up next week? Next week we've got
3: uh, New York Times bestseller Andrew Child coming back. He's gonna tell us about the latest Jack Reacher book. It's called No Plan B and releases October twenty
2: fifth. Nice. It's gonna be fun. So if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks
0: for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.